Today I'm going to preach another sermon in my series, Rebuilding Your Broken World. If you're keeping count, uh, this is sermon number five on how to rebuild your broken life and your broken world. Today we're going to talk about doing it on our knees, all right, on our knees. Life is a long, difficult, and dangerous journey. We were not created to travel that road by ourselves or on our own. God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us and to rescue us from our sin. And from the moment we are saved, we have an onboard communication system with God known as prayer. And through prayer, we have access to heaven and everything that God intends for us to have in this life. For example, pardon from sins, power over our weaknesses, protection from harm, provision for times of need, and peace in times of trouble. Last week we saw that Ezra was a man who had set his heart on learning, living, and sharing the Word of God. And today we're going to see that he is also a man who completely and totally trusts God through prayer. Ezra chapter 8 is a flashback to Ezra's actual journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. As he set off on that journey, something happened that reveals Ezra's faith and confidence not only in God, but also in the power of prayer. Ezra's an amazing man. He was a man that God used in, a, in an awesome way. And in Ezra chapter 8, we see Ezra leading this group of people. It's a second wave of exiles to Jerusalem. In addition to all the people that he has bringing to Jerusalem, he's also been entrusted with great treasure that's going to be used in the rebuilding of that city. So they gather at this rendezvous point before they begin their 900-mile journey on foot. I want you to notice what happens here in Ezra chapter 8, verse 21. Ezra said, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from Him the right way or the straight way for us and our little ones and all of our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all of those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this. And he answered our prayer. Now skip down to verse 31. Then we departed from the canal or the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from the ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and we stayed there for three days. Heavenly Father, I thank you for preserving this awesome story in Ezra chapter 8. And I pray that today as we preach from it and read your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak it into our heart, 
that, that we would understand the necessity and the importance of prayer and that we would become a people of prayer. Lord, my prayer for everyone here today is that through your grace and your power, they would be able to rebuild their broken life, family, and world. Lord, help us to do that through prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have I told you that life can be a long, difficult, and dangerous journey? If we're going to be successful in the work that God has given each one of us to do, including the rebuilding of our broken world, we will only be successful in that journey if we do it on our knees and if we do it in prayer. There are five things I want you to notice about prayer from this amazing chapter in the Old Testament. And the first is this. It's the sheer necessity of prayer in your life. Now, how many of y'all like to watch old westerns on TV? Anybody out there like old? I love the old B-westerns. My family has uh, come to detest them. Uh, if they are in the room and, and, and I flip it over to the Western Channel and there's an old black and white Western, I hear this, oh, not again, from, from every single member in my family. And I just don't get it, all right? Because, I mean, I love, I know they're predictable, all right? You know, the guy in the white hat is going to win. The guy in the black hat, he's a bad guy. He's going to, I know all of that. But just think for a second the last Western movie that you watched. There was this long wagon train, and it was making its way through Oklahoma, the Indian Territory. I just, I didn't have Oklahoma in my notes, but I just threw that out there. The Indian Territory. Now, if, if they were in any kind of luck, they would have this, this troop of army cavalry along with them to protect them on their long, difficult, and dangerous journey. Well, Ezra has his group of about 1,500 people as they stand there on the banks of the Ahava River with a 900-mile trip in front of them. Now, yeah, they had able-bodied men in this group, but they also had women. And along with that, they had children, not just teenagers, but little children, and even infants and babies. Not only that, they were also carrying treasures for the house of God back in Jerusalem. The only difference from Ezra than, than the people in our Western movie is they had absolutely no military support or escort. This would be a difficult and dangerous and long journey. Robbers would be licking their chops for an opportunity like this to attack a caravan with no military support. So what did Ezra do? What did his people? Well, Ezra tells us what he did in verse 21. There by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask Him for a safe journey, not only for us, but for our children and all of our possessions. So before they start this long, dangerous, and difficult journey, they just kneel down, humble themselves, and pray. It's necessary if they are going to be successful. They are doing God's work, and they will need God's help, God's provision, and God's protection. 
Let me tell you what's happening here at this rendezvous point. Everybody's ready to go. It's a long journey. They're ready to step out and, and get going. But before that happens, Ezra pushes the pause button. He does what I do up here sometimes on Sundays when I'm preaching. Time out. <laughs> Hang on, everybody. Just wait a second. And you know what? Sometimes we need to do that. In our own life, we need to do that. How often do we charge into our day or charge into our endeavors without first praying and asking for God's help? And how often have we found ourselves regretting that we didn't ask God for help beforehand and just ran ahead of Him? They're asking God for a safe journey. That's, that's the way it's uh, written in the NIV. And in my New King James, they, they ask for a right way. Lord, help us to have a right way. Literally, the Hebrew word is a straight way. God, give us a straight way. That's the exact same word that is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. where It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. And that's what they're asking for. Lord, give us a straight path. Protect us. You know what? We need to pray, church, because what we need to happen in our broken world, we can't do on our own. I mean, maybe we figured that out by now. Sometimes our lives can turn into such a mess that we can't fix it. We need somebody bigger than us to fix it. God's the one who can do that. So, the sheer necessity of prayer. If you haven't been praying, let me encourage you every day, you need to start your day in prayer. You need to continue your day in prayer, and you need to end your day in prayer. Prayer is simply asking for God's help. That's what they were doing. They humbled themselves, and they asked for God's help. The second thing I want you to know is, notice is, is that humility. The humility that they have in prayer. Verse 21, Ezra said, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God. Now, to fast simply means to abstain from food or from something else for a specific period of time for the sole purpose of demonstrating our humility before God. For example, if, if you decide that you're going to fast from maybe one meal a week in order to spend that time in prayer, in fact, this is what you're saying. God, I need you more than I need that meal. I need you more than I need food. So I'm skipping this meal on this day of eating or or whatever it is, because I am desperate for you to move in my situation. Being humble before God shows our complete spiritual dependence and our conviction that God is in total control. Now, fasting can be an individual thing or it can be a group thing. Ezra proclaimed a fast meaning that he was asking for every person on that journey to humble themselves and to fast and to pray. And really all through the Bible, we see that the people of God fasted and prayed 
on many different occasions. For example, some people in the Bible fasted at prescribed times, such as uh, on a special holy day, according to the law of Moses. They even continued this in the New Testament in Jesus' day. And Jesus spoke to them and taught them that they needed to be careful when they fasted, that it wasn't done in a self-righteous, hypocritical way, that it wasn't done for show. Said Because you're not doing it just to show out in front of people. You're doing it before God to humble yourself before Him. So people fasted at prescribed times. They also fasted during perilous times. Remember when David's child became sick unto death? We read that David, the great king, fasted and prayed. When Israel was under attack, the king would often call for a nationwide time of fasting and praying during perilous times. We also read in the Bible that people prayed at pivotal times. There were times when important decisions needed to be made or when important efforts were being pursued and God's people were called on to fast and pray. I remember in a parallel story to our one going on here in Ezra that Miss Esther called for all the Jews who were living in Persia to pray and to fast for her to go in before the king as she plead for their lives. Jesus fasted one time for 40 days in the wilderness before he embarked on his public ministry. So all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, we see God's people fasting and praying at prescribed times and perilous times and pivotal times. The bottom line is, you know what? We need to be praying and we need to be fasting. I really got this idea that many of us have, have not used all the spiritual resources that are available to us through Christ Jesus. Have we been trying to rebuild our broken worlds through our own strength, our own ingenuity, our own power, our own wisdom? And where's that gotten us? Really nowhere. What about this? And You know, I, I do not say this in any kind of condescending way. I say it, I say it from a broken heart because you know what? I said it to myself before I'm saying it to you. Have, have we tried the biblical way? Have we tried humbling ourselves before God and setting aside an extended period of time so that we could pray and fast for God's intervention? I mean, guys, let's be honest. We try everything else first, don't we? I mean, we think we can fix it. Even when we cause the problem or make the mess, we think we can fix it. But most of the time, we just make it worse. And during times like, like we're talking about here, and in a, even in our own life, you know, sometimes God is allowing those things to happen in our life so He could just get our attention and say, hey, you need to come to me. You need to depend on me. You need to look to me. And fasting is nothing more than saying, God, I need you more than anything else in my life. I need you more than food. <laughs> and that's a pretty basic need, is it not? I have found that if I don't eat six times a day, I'm pretty cranky, you know? 
I've, I've got a pretty strong dependence upon food, huh? You know, are you with me? Our bodies were made to need and to crave food. So to restrict that and to deprive ourselves from that, just a, it's a basic hunger and a basic need. We, and when we do that, we're saying, God, I need you more than I need this basic thing to keep me alive. I need you, God. So I'm telling you what, if, 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 if you've got problems in your life or in your family or with your kids or at work or wherever it is, and these problems just don't go away, I encourage you to fast, to pray. And as a church, let me tell you, as a church, the New Testament church, most theologians believe, fasted every Wednesday and Friday for the work of the kingdom of God. I wonder how many of us could go without maybe just one meal a week and spend that time praying for our church and the ministries here at Kavanaugh. So there is the necessity of prayer. Number two, there's the humility of prayer. But we also read about the simplicity of prayer. In verse 21, Ezra said, and I'm paraphrasing this, he said, we ask God to give us a safe journey. And then in verse 23, he said, so we fasted and petitioned our God about this. Guys, listen to me. We're not talking about rocket science here. We're talking about something that is very simple. It's as, it's as simple as asking God, Lord, Jesus, we need your help. It's pretty simple, is it not? It, it kind of reminds me of, of, of little children. It's, it's second nature for a little child to ask their parents for what they need. I mean, we, that's the way we train our kids. If you need something, ask us, right? I mean, that's the way we raised all three of our kids. And even though they are now grown and one of them is married and gone and the other two are teenagers and, and they're grown, they, they still believe in that. Because we've taught it to them and they know it well if they've got a need they ask mom and dad because we've proven ourselves to them when they have a need we do everything we can to meet their need that's the job of a parent and heather it breaks my heart to realize that right here in our own backyard i'm not talking about halfway around the world yes they have needs there but right here in the river valley there are tons of little kids who don't have parents they can go to and ask for help and to provide for them. You know what? With us as Christians, and, and I'm talking about only to those who are saved and born again right now, for believers, it should simply be our second nature for us to ask our God for what we need. Because you know what? As a believer, He's my Father. He's my heavenly Father. And understand this. This is the coolest thing about it. He adopted me. He adopted me. The Bible says He has chosen me and He's grafted me into His family. That's pretty cool, isn't it? To be adopted, that's an awesome thing. I mean, when we had our three kids, I didn't get to choose what kind of kid I wanted. I'm thankful that I got the kids I got. Okay? Mark that down. But the cool thing about adoption is you get to choose the kid that you adopt. 
And God has chosen us. So friend, it should be second nature for us to ask God what we need. And listen to me, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we had such childlike dependence on God that our very first instinct in every matter was not to worry or fret or fear or drink or eat or go borrow money or anything else. What if our very first instinct was to simply ask God? They needed a safe journey. And so you know what they did? They asked God for one. That's pretty simple. So Ezra's prayer is simple. But you know what? Along with that simplicity, it's also very specific. He prayed for something specific. He asked God for a safe journey for himself, for his family, for their children, and for their possessions. It's one thing to pray. It's another thing to pray specifically. And when we pray specifically, God answers specifically. James teaches us this in his little letter in the New Testament. He said, if any of you lack wisdom, and I think we all do at certain points in our life, don't we? If you lack wisdom, all you have to do is ask God for it. That's pretty simple. And if you ask God for it, He will give it to you abundantly. But James also goes on to talk about that praying, that specific praying. You need to pray in faith, he says. But when he asks, James 1 verse 6 says, He must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. So, we pray simply, but we pray simply in faith, believing that our God can. And let me tell you something, He can. That brings me to number four, the testimony of prayer. There's something more at stake here than, than just the safety and provision of these travelers. God's reputation is at stake. His glory is at stake. In verse 22, Ezra said, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from our enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So it seems to me in reading this that Ezra had debated as to whether or not to ask King Artaxerxes for a military escort. He begins to think, well, the king has heard us talking about how faithful God has been to us all along the way in this matter. What is the king going to think if I come to him and ask him for his protection? Will he think that, that we don't trust God anymore? Or worse than that, will he think that our God really can't come through for us? That he can't really protect us? So you know what Ezra does? He does what we have to do, and that is just kind of step out on faith. Many of you would say he was taking a risk. And, and maybe you look at faith as taking a risk. Because let me tell you, you're climbing out on a branch when you step out on faith. You're, you're not really for certain how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. That's what faith is, though. Just trusting God. 
And so he steps out on, on faith and simply trusts God for the protection. He thinks in his mind, you know what? If I do this, I know God is going to provide. And I know the king is going to look at our God in a different way. That, that our God is powerful and that our God is faithful. Verse 23, so here's what we did. We fasted and we petitioned our God about this. And he answered our prayer. Isn't that great? Really, when the world sees God's people praying, they see the confidence that we have in our God. What a testimony that is. And let me break it down a little further than that. What a testimony to our kids and our grandkids when we pray and when we fast and when we trust God and when they see that. Boy, a lot of things are flying through my mind right now. Isn't it tough to raise kids? It really is. You know, because you don't really, unless you have a bunch of kids, like 12 or 14, you don't have a whole lot of practice when you first get them, do you? You've had yourself, but I mean, when you were being raised, it's a totally different perspective. You you were the kid, you know? I mean, it, 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 is, it is tough raising kids. And I'm, you know, I, I am, you can just ask my three, I am far from being a perfect dad. I am far from being a perfect father. You know what? I try real hard. And I want to be. And if I don't do anything else, let me tell you what, here's, here's a couple of things that, that I've, I have given myself to do and, and I'm doing the best I can. I pray for my kids every single day, multiple times through the day. You know, I know, especially with little kids, you want to be there to protect your kids and kind of be a shield for them, don't you? But you can't always do that. You can't always be there. But God can. And so you pray for your kids, your grandkids, and you trust God. You pray and you trust. You pray and you trust. And then along with praying for them, I do my best to, to teach them and train them. Not only through my words, but by my actions. Let me tell you, parents, dads especially, what your kids need to see Monday through Saturday, every day of the week at home, is the real thing. They need to see the real you, a godly you. They don't need to see a dad on Sunday morning who comes in, bless God, praise the Lord, in the church and then act like the devil's son through the rest of the week at home. Got to be a real example to them. And I, I, I pick on my parents a whole lot. Y'all know that. But, but I tell you, I couldn't, have, I couldn't have been given two better parents who loved their two kids and taught them the right thing from the very beginning. Taught them God. My, my, listen, my hope, and my dad wasn't a preacher. Okay, But let me tell you something. God was the most important thing in our house. He taught us to pray. He taught us to trust. And let me tell you something. If the doors of the church were open, the Harmons were going to be there. 
And I didn't always like that, nor did I always appreciate that when I was a kid. But I'm thankful to God that my parents cared enough about us to get us to that safe place as many times during the week that they could. They believed in the church so much, they left me there a couple of times. It's a, hey, let me tell you, it's a frightful thing when you're six years old and you wake up and you're in an empty, dark church. We lived, I don't know, we lived six, seven miles out in the country and, and they were in different vehicles and they both got home and even came in the house. Mom was, mom was making our Sunday night meal, which is fried bologna sandwiches. And they looked around and there was no William Richard in the house. Oh boy. Let me tell you, what a testimony when you teach your kids to trust God. Huh? What a testimony to the world. Because let me tell you, the world is watching us. And they understand that, you know what, these people trust God. What a great God they have. They trust God in every area of their life. And you know what, God comes through for them every time. I want to know a God like that. So that's what Ezra did. Instead of asking for a military escort, he just decided he was going to trust God. Now that raises a question I know you're just dying to ask. Does this mean that we should never ask any human for help? No, no. In fact, in Nehemiah, which is a parallel book to the book of Esther, Nehemiah faces a similar dilemma. He's about to come back from Babylon to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city. He needed resources. And he needed protection from the king to return to Jerusalem to rebuild those walls. And so Nehemiah begins praying that God would grant him favor with the king. And then as he went into the king, he was praying the whole time he was talking to the king, Lord, open the king's heart to this. And the king granted his request, gave him everything he asked for, including a military escort. So, I mean, what's the deal? Ezra didn't ask for one, just trusted God. Nehemiah was trusting God just as much, but he asked for a military escort. I, I, I think that the deal comes down to this. God leads His people in different ways at different times. I mean, just like every life in here is different, and every journey is different. I mean, if, if one person had it all figured out and wrote a book on it, then... All the rest of us would just, uh, you know, buy the book, <laughs> wouldn't we? But every one of us are different. All of our situations are different. Certainly we are to never ask God for anything that is contrary to His revealed will in His Word. We know that. But at other times we just don't know exactly what to ask God to do. At times like that I've learned to just ask God, Lord, show me how to pray. And Lord, show me what to do so that I can trust in You. And what I know is this, God is faithful. He will show you. Maybe He'll give you the answer while you're reading His Word. That happens quite frequently because this is the owner's manual for life. And you're reading the Word and there it is. Maybe it's a verse you've read a hundred different times, but this time it speaks to you differently. That's because the Word is alive. It's God's Word. He's speaking it to you. So you claim that promise and you follow that plan. 
Maybe it will come by a sanctified impression that you should ask God for something specifically. But however God leads, that's what you are to do. And we know that in this particular case, Ezra, Ezra knew that he just needed to trust God. He didn't need to ask the king. He just needed to trust God so that God's name would be glorified to the maximum. You know what God did? He answered his prayer. That's the cool thing. He answered the prayer. And that brings me to point number five, which is my fifth and final point. It's the certainty of prayer. Our certainty is not in prayer. Our certainty is in God through prayer. Look at verse 22 of Ezra chapter 8. He said, The gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to Him, but His great anger is against all who forsake Him. So, here's what we did. Fasted and we petitioned our God about this, and He answered our prayer. Well, hallelujah. Isn't that great? But how did God answer that prayer? Well, verse 31 tells us, On the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the Ahava Canal, to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and He protected us from enemies. And I'm reading this out of the NIV. It uses that word bandits. He protected us from our enemies and the bandits along the way. That's pretty cool. We really don't have specific details of how God did that. We don't know exactly what happened on the journey. Maybe it was totally uneventful. Maybe the bandits forgot to set their alarm. I don't know. Maybe they didn't even attack. We don't know. But maybe they did attack. But whatever the case, God protected them. God answered their prayer. God, listen to me, God made their path straight. Verse 32. And we arrived in Jerusalem. And we rested for three days. So the point is this. You can launch out. Listen to me. You can launch out today on the adventure of rebuilding your broken world with the certainty, that is the absolute certainty, that God's gracious hand is going to be on you. And everyone who looks to Him in prayer. Here's let me say, God can do it. God can move mountains. God can rebuild families. God can change lives. And maybe today yours needs some help. Because life is a long, difficult, and dangerous journey. Just like Ezra's journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. It involves us. We're in it, aren't we? We're on, we're on that road today. We're traveling today. But not only is it just us, we've got our kids with us. And our grandchildren. And our families. And all of our belongings. So the question this morning is this. Who are you trusting? Is it God? There is no doubt when I read Ezra chapter 8, 
Ezra is completely and totally trusting God. God, we can't do this on our own. We need your help. Would you help us? So are you trusting God? Hour by hour, day by day, year by year, until you arrive safely to your destination, which is heaven. Are you going to trust God for every decision that you have to make, every journey that you have to take, every trial that you're going to face? Are you trusting God? And do you trust Him enough this morning to come down here and in simple faith humble yourself? God, I need your help. He's proven himself. He will help if you ask him. So, Heavenly Father, that's our prayer today. That those who are in need this morning will come and ask for your help. Lord, I strongly believe that there's someone here today that's never been saved. They've never given their life to you. They've never been adopted or engrafted into the family of faith. Lord, help them to just to be convicted and to have that burning desire to be a part of your family. I pray that they would come to the altar this morning and allow us the privilege of leading them to you. Lord, if there's a Christian here today that's away from you, for whatever reason, I pray that today they would humble themselves and come home. Lord, for the rest of us who are dealing with life's problems, may we gather up all those issues and all those problems and bring them to you today in prayer. May we push the pause button of life and come and pray. Lord, I believe that you're speaking specifically to some of us who are here today about fasting, starting that practice in our, our weekly life. Maybe, maybe.